We have a bill that says children must be vaccinated in order to go to school, and if their parents don't want them to get vaccinated, then they'll just use a bill that says that as young as 12 years old, they can consent to get the vaccine themselves. Laura Sextro is the CEO and co-founder of the Unity Project, an umbrella group that brings together organizations across America that are fighting against the vaccine mandates and fighting for medical freedom and parental rights. One of the bills in California, which is AB 2098, and I think that this is probably the most egregious bill that we're seeing, states that any doctor that goes against the COVID narrative will lose their medical license. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelly. Laura Sextro, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I've heard quite a bit about you. Um, I've had all four of the doctors that are the faces of the Unity Project on this show. I think all of the multiple times, in fact. But this is the first time that I've actually had the the mind behind it all. <laughs> no, but in in all seriousness, you know, tell what is the Unity Project? What are you doing, and and how did you get these four brilliant minds together? Right. So the Unity Project, we're working on bringing together organizations that are fighting the vaccine mandates, fighting for medical freedom and parental rights. And it was really born out of of what's going on in California. And I know we'll get into a lot of those crazy bills, uh, but we do have. Have, I think, an cr- incredible um, strategic advisory council as well as board members. Obviously, Dr. Uh, Robert Malone is our chief medical officer. Dr. Aaron Cariotti is our chief of medical ethics. Dr. Paul Alexander is our chief scientific officer. And then, of course, we've got uh, Dr. Pierre Corey and Dr. Peter McCullough and, and others on our strategic advisory council. And, you know, we were really blessed. Our chairman actually had um, a lot of connection with the FLCCC. And through that, he had a lot of connections with these doctors. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it was difficult, though, for these doctors to get on board and get behind the mission of the Unity Project in, in terms of unifying organizations across the state of California and across the country in fighting against these vaccine mandates, in particular uh, for children, right? Because we know that children really are at statistically zero risk. We know that they're not vectors of transmission. And yet there seems to be a tremendous push to mass vaccinate children in this country. What about you? Like, why is this issue? You know, there's a lot of people in California. I think it would be, you know, larger than many actual, you know, sovereign states, right? And certainly economically. What is it that drove you to become involved in this? And and you basically started it, right? Or... Uh, we, we actually have a team of about four that started it together, and our chairman, Jeff Hansen, he was a part of that. Uh, what For me personally, I was actually looking into what a lot of what is happening in the state of California and really across the country as it relates to what's happening in schools. And it seems to me that parental rights have kind of become the new battlefield for what's happening in the country and in, of course, the classroom. And so I was looking into that, and then it kind of um, evolved into this fight against the vaccine mandates because in the state of California, according to SB 871, which has now been put on hold, we believe that they will resurrect that bill. But SB 871 was facing us and we, and it basically is a bill that states any child, uh, whether you're K through 12, public or private, 
um, will need to be vaccinated in order to attend in-person learning. And I just thought that is such a tremendous overreach of the government at really inserting themselves between the parent and the children um, and, and becoming kind of a co-parenting role uh, requiring that the children be vaccinated. And again, I can't stress enough, I'm sure you've heard it from all of our doctors, that children are not at risk from this virus. And so uh, it just seemed to be a cause that was an, a necessary cause to take on. And so is, is it personal to you? Absolutely. Um, I, I, my family, we've made a decision that we will not be vaccinating our children. And so unfortunately for me, I was facing the possibility that my child would not be able to attend school in order to, uh, unless they're getting vaccinated. It's very personal. So because, but not everybody says, okay, I got to found an organization to stop this, right? <laughs> well, you know, that's a really interesting thought. And I had a conversation with my husband and I said, you know, um, of course, we, we all know about what happened with regard to Biden's um, hundred plus employee mandate and how that was defeated. But at the time that, that uh, I was forming the organization, that was still on the table. And my husband and I had many conversations and I said, listen, I can either um, fight this now or I can fight it downstream when I'm no longer able to work and, and he is no longer able to work and our children are not able to go to school and we're not able to engage in day-to-day -day life in normal mainstream society. So uh, the option was either get involved or uh, be forced to get involved downstream should this pass. And what's shocking is it's private as well as public school. One of the bills in California, which is AB 2098, and I think that this is probably the most egregious bill that we're seeing, um, states that any doctor that goes against the COVID narrative will lose their medical license. I always use the example that, let's say that you have someone that's uh, maybe an endocrinologist, and that endocrinologist has been treating a patient that might have an uh, autoimmune disorder. If the endocrinologist in their practice and after reviewing the, the patient's medical history believes that uh, they would have to recommend against the vaccine because it might have an adverse uh, reaction. So if they recommend against the vaccine under 2098, their license would be subject to uh, review and then they could potentially have their license removed. And having your license removed as a medical practitioner is akin to being disbarred as an attorney. You will not practice medicine again in the United States and really anywhere in the world. So it's a very, very serious threat. And if you think about it from the, the standpoint of, of really even larger than the issue of COVID, I like to say that this is the first step in the dismantling of the medical system, right? So it, you, you're dismantling the doctor-patient relationship. So, um, and then you're governing how doctors practice medicine, right? So doctors would no longer be free to actually truly engage in the practice of medicine um, the way that, that it was designed to be um, practiced. I've talked about this on a number of episodes, probably with some of your doctors. Um, this relationship between the patient and the doctor is, I don't know, sacrosanct is the word I wanted to use. It certainly should be and has been traditionally. And it's a very weird state where somehow there's some kind of overarching, you know, board or group or, or dictate that really obviously has no idea what the patient themselves needs or, or 
their reality. I mean, if you think about it, the practice of medicine is such an individual thing, right? There's no exact science. So you go into your doctor and say, I have a headache. Well, there's a process that your doctor goes through in order to understand why you might have a headache, right? Whether it's diagnostic tools through blood tests, biopsies, whatever the case may be, um, a series of questions to understand, and, and of course, looking at your patient history to understand uh, what the best course of medical intervention should be for that particular case. But if we're creating regulations now that, that that govern how doctors can even have the conversation with the patient, can you imagine how dangerous that's going to be? And it feels very much like they will end up becoming an extension of the government or the pharmaceutical companies. As you're talking about it, I just think to myself, this is like a, a bureaucrat's solution or something like that, yeah. where people are not really people. There's somehow numbers on a spreadsheet how many got vaccinated, how many didn't get vaccinated, but then the realities of those individuals, which is kind of the whole point right. of having a GP, right, that sticks right. with you so they understand you, kind of just becomes irrelevant. Well, I would agree with that, but I think it's probably even a larger issue. I think it's just a really desperate attempt to ensure that there is absolutely no possibility that anyone could um, come up with a reason as to why they should be allowed to not be vaccinated. And, and again, it kind of comes full circle and we go back to what we were talking about at the beginning here with regard to children being vaccinated. So one has to question and wonder what is this this massive push to get uh, you know vaccinations deployed into the human population, in particular the pediatric population? Um, and and you know if you look at the risk benefit analysis, of course we now know that there are so many risks, in particular in the pediatric population with these vaccines. Yet um, it's shocking this this massive push that we're seeing, um, and these these bills they're just they're so overarching. You know we have bills. Um, I'm gonna, I'm going to look this up as well. I believe it is SB 1464 is a bill that would require law enforcement to enforce California Department of Health uh, regulations. So the California Department of Health is not a legislative body, right? And yet we're now putting bills on the books that would state that the police would be required to enforce California Department of Health laws. Can you imagine that? Uh I, I can imagine it. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to believe that it's actually happening. These are not, you know, people say, it, it, are these fictional? Are, are these things that they're being talked about? It's more than that. These are actual bills that have been authored and in most cases are in some process of the legislative body at this point. So, you know, let's, let's go through them. I was, you know, you sent me a list earlier and, uh, you know, I frankly couldn't believe some of them this is you know this 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 last one that you just mentioned ab2098 with uh, basically the misinformation by doctors being you know grounds for possibly you know the equivalent of disbarring them i forgot i forget the term right now but yes um you know uh, uh, difficult to fathom um now what is ab1797 that you're on it's actually making changes to the california immunization record database why is that 
Why is that an issue? Uh, well, because what it's doing is it's essentially aggregating all of your immunization information into one big database. So it's, you know, I know what you've probably uh, spoken to Dr. Aaron Cariotti about his new book and the fact that it's kind of the first step in us being able to have this uh, bioidentity that you will be tracked uh, with um, at a state or, or governmental level. And um, this is just, this is an easier way to, to put all that information together. And uh, again, it's tracking all of your immunization information in one database that's very easily accessible. And then if you look at 1479, I think that's a real, it's a bill that basically accompanies um, 1797 where uh, they're looking to require any child, so should um, SB 871 not pass, uh, which unfortunately I think it has a good chance of passing in California, but um, in addition to that, any child that is not vaccinated, the school is required to do weekly testing of COVID-19, and then they're required to report those test results to the California Department of Health. So they're forming this, this data bank, if you will, of information about uh, people that are being tested in the state of California. And I'm sure you've heard that a lot of these tests, the nasal swab, actually has a known cancer-causing agent. So at low levels, when you're, if you're being tested potentially, once every year, once every few months, um, it's it's fairly innocuous. But if you're being subjected to have to, to this test every week, uh, you're increasing your chance of being, you know, of, of getting cancer because you're being exposed to a known cancer-causing agent. Well, not to mention though that these tests don't ex exactly have a very high success rate at, at all, right? So it opens up the door for you know basically false determinations and a, a lot of a lot of false determinations in absolutely fact. absolutely and of course then you think about um, all the stigma that goes along with this so can you can imagine as a child going to school so if, so let's let's frame this with the chronology kind of of all of these bills so it's, you imagine your child that goes to school let's say that you're not vaccinated now you're lined up and you're being you're being tested so you can only imagine where are they going to be doing this testing it's probably not going to be behind closed doors so other students don't realize that these children are unvaccinated of course these children are going to be made to be ostracized and be made an example so then in comes SB 866 which is a bill that states that children as young as 12 years old and I know there's there's they're trying to amend it now to bump it up to 15, but as it stands, I, I believe it's still um, as young as 12 years old, can make their own medical decisions with or without the knowledge or consent of the parents. In addition to that, they'll be able to elect to seal their own medical records. Okay, wait, full stop here. You're telling me that at the moment, a 12-year-old kid, according to this legislation, will be able to decide to get a genetic vaccine and not tell their parents that that's happening? That is correct. And they can elect to have their medical records sealed. So the parents can never see that that, that actually happened. That is correct. That is correct. So God forbid that they suffer some type of adverse reaction, which we know has happened. Uh, the parent would have no idea why that's happened. That is correct. What, what do you think that people authoring that particular legislation are thinking? I think that it is a mechanism to, again, mass vaccinate children, and they're, they're essentially circumventing the parents. Because what we're seeing right now is, you know, a lot of society may have said, okay, as an adult, maybe I'll, I'll go ahead and get on board with vaccinating myself. Um, you know, maybe it, it, they felt like it was the right thing to do. Maybe they're going along to get along. There's a whole plethora of, of reasons that, that an adult may choose to uh, get vaccinated, all the way from 
I believe that it's effective to I'm I, I may just want to you know go to that concert and not and not be inconvenienced so but then when you bring it down to the level of um, vaccinating someone's children that's where we're starting to see people say wait a minute I'm not comfortable with this. There's not enough data. This is still under an emergency use authorization. I've been told, you know, a lot of people here, well, children really aren't getting sick, which again, we know children are not. We know children are not vectors of transmission and they really have no risk of this virus. And so what's happening now is you're starting to see some parents pushing back on this. And this particular bill is a way to circumvent the parents. Well, in one way that they're pushing back on it, as I was looking at data from the actual, you know, uptick of these of children being vaccinated based on these new authorizations by the FDA, and they're incredibly low rates. I didn't see where California's at. Um, maybe it's higher than the others, but these were like their states. You know, like so we're talking like two percent, three percent. I mean, that has its own issues, right? But it, but the point is, there's a lot of parents who themselves are clearly vaccinated based on the numbers we know who are not getting their kids vaccinated. So, you know, some of this information is clearly getting out into the public. Uh, yeah, I think that the information is getting out. And I think, again, parents, it may be one thing as an adult to say, okay, I'm willing to uh, roll the dice. But I think when it comes to being asked to roll the dice with your children's health, uh, that's where parents say, wait a minute, this is, this is a problem and I'm going to need more information. And uh, I think it's an incredibly nefarious and uh, unethical, uh, extreme overreach of the government to use bills like this as a mechanism to uh, circumvent the parents. And the, the unfortunate thing is that by design, the, the elected officials that are authoring these bills are incredibly crafty with how they keep uh, this discreet and, and under wraps. I, you know, if you go in and you ask most people in California, they don't even know that these bills have been authored, let alone that they're being voted on. Uh, one thing that I thought was incredibly telling at the Unity Project, we actually took an excerpt of the language on the California.gov website of some of these bills. We posted it to social media and we were immediately told that we were going to be taken down for misinformation. And I found that to be incredibly ironic because it was the actual language from the California.gov website of the bill. Um, so it's, and it's their desperate attempt to continue to suppress this information uh, because I believe that, that if people in, not only in California, but if people across the country Country realize that these bills are being authored and being voted on, they would be horrified. And uh, it, they wouldn't be so successful at passing these as quickly as they have been and as uncontested. I mean, this is another question, right? This is a sizable legislature in California, right? Of course, it's, I think it's a, it's a democratic supermajority, super yes. exactly. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is on board or does it. You tell no, me. actually it doesn't. And I'll share with you an experience that we had. So Dr. Cariotti uh, went to the state capitol recently and he testified in opposition to AB 2098. AB 2098 will harm patients. It'll stall scientific progress, hamstring our pandemic response, undermine the trust necessary for the doctor-patient relationship, and worsen the physician shortage in California. A physician with a gag order is not a physician you can trust. Patients want to know that if they ask their doctor a question, including a question about COVID, they'll get a, an honest opinion from the physician, regardless of whether they go seek a second opinion or follow their doctor's advice. The text of AB 2098 makes three statements about COVID that are already outdated. 
because science constantly evolves, as CDC Director Rochelle Walensky recently explained. Last week, for example, a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine showed negative vaccine efficacy against the new Omicron variant. Another peer-reviewed study published two weeks ago found reduced sperm counts in men after vaccination. Neither of these efficacy or safety findings was available when this bill was drafted only very recently. Advances in science and medicine occur when doctors and, uh, and scientists challenge conventional thinking or settled opinion. Good science is always characterized by conjecture and refutation, by deliberation, fierce debate, and always openness to new data. So trying to fixate any cons consensus as unassailable is going to stifle medical and scientific progress. Frontline physicians challenging conventional thinking played a key role during the pandemic in advancing knowledge of COVID treatment. For example, you ventilating were, patients. In you, you were at the three minute point. I'm gonna let you wind your way to the end and not terminate this abruptly. Okay, I'm happy to give several examples of well, what I just mentioned, but. Don't take advantage of my patients. If this bill becomes law, doctors will be punished for practicing medicine according to their best judgment. Informed consent, which is the foundation of medical ethics, will be compromised. Forward-thinking physicians will simply leave the state rather than practice under these conditions. And most concerningly, all that will result in harm to our patients. It was an incredibly interesting experience. You know, first of all, it was very theatrical. We go into the state, the state capitol building, and uh, before we actually get into the hearing room, everyone's kind of huddled together in the hallway, right? No one's saying anything, and you even see the the elected officials walking by in close in close quarters with you know with everyone else that's in the hallway. The minute that you go into the hearing room, they separate everyone. Uh, make make sure that you're at least six to ten feet away from from one another and so what that does is it actually limits the amount of people that are able to go into the hearing room and then of course some of them mask up and with this particular bill it was fascinating because the process is that they hear from witnesses uh, that are in that are for and then of course that are in opposition uh, the witnesses that were for this were very very few I would say less than five and then um, the witnesses that were in opposition uh, we they they actually had I would say probably 30 minutes of people calling in so it was individuals as well as organizations across the state calling in expressing their opposition uh, we did have a, a couple of, of state senators that that were in opposition and were asking uh, I think a pretty good line of questioning um, and they indicated that they recognized how and how dangerous the, this bill could be but then when it came time to vote it was almost um, I, I've never Never experienced anything quite like it. It was just a, a complete pass. So everyone voted, with the exception of two state senators on that committee, everyone voted for it, even though their constituents were expressing extreme opposition. It was, it was unbelievable. And actually, that brings up a really interesting point. So one of the state senators during the hearing said, how do you define misinformation and um, it was amazing the theatrics and they never really would answer that and of course it's clearly by design right that that they're they're leaving this open-ended this very broad uh, language within the bill uh, in an effort to have this 
as a, a punitive uh, mechanism for doctors who do anything that, that the state feels is not in concert with their narrative or, or maybe whatever the pharmaceutical narrative is. Right. So it allows for the arbitrary exercise of power. I mean, that's basically what you're telling Absolutely. me, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's another bill that is uh, basically suggesting that the Department of Health should be able to pull medical records without consent. Is this, is this real? That is correct. So SB 920 authorizes medical boards to inspect a doctor's office and medical records without patient consent. So you know, if you think about all of this, you have a bill, we have a bill that, that says, okay, doctors are not allowed to go against the COVID narrative. They could potentially lose their license. So now we've got doctors that are no longer really freely engaging in the doctor-patient relationship and truly trying to understand how they, the best medical intervention for the, for the patient. We have a bill that says children must be vaccinated in order to go to school. And if their parents don't want them to get vaccinated, then they'll just use a bill that says that as young as 12 years old, they can consent to get the vaccine themselves. Um, in addition, in addition to that, we have bills that state that the um, California Department of Health uh, regulations need to be, so all of these bills need to be enforced by law enforcement. Um, now you've got bills stating that you can go in and you can t uh, access patients' medical records without patient consent. Um, we have bills that state that children must be tested, um, and that information then gets sent to the California Department of Health database. Um, it's, it's, and you know, the list goes on. The one that was also tabled, and this one is, is also one that was incredibly shocking to me, was uh, AB 1993. And this bill, and again, these bills can all be resurrected. It's been put on hold right now. Uh, but AB 1993 states that anyone who engages in any form of commerce in the state of California must prove their vaccine status. And what I mean by that is any employee or employer to include independent contractors must prove their vaccine status. And of course, they, they were looking to put together um, an entire task force to uh, go out and of course, uh, inspect employers and make sure that employers are being compliant with this. And of course, they come up with um, an exorbitant penalty. So can you imagine the impact that that would have in, in, in an economy like the size of California? It's, it's uh, remarkable. It is. For, li for lack of a better term. This is such a, a gross, gross constitutional violation. We're talking about First Amendment. We're talking about um, all kinds of violations, not only of the Constitution, but, but really of just ethical values. And so, I, yeah, that really has inspired me. I, I think probably more so from the fact that I, uh, I don't want to live in an environment where I cannot move about freely, where I have to worry that my children are actually no longer um, my children. They're wards of the state, and I was just a vessel of their birth. Um, I don't want to live in an environment where um, I'm regulated to the point that I no longer have the ability to choose um, uh, my own free, you know, medical freedom and no longer um, have the ability to feel confident that I will be able to access good, acceptable medical care. Well, a lot of these bills are basically mm -hmm. lawsuits waiting to happen, right? Like, oh, you know, absolutely. I find it very difficult to imagine how most of these would actually you know, passed, uh, you know, a, basically a legal challenge. 
Yeah, you know, that's interesting. You would think that this would be a very straightforward um, legal case because there's there's such egregious violations. Uh, the challenge is, and you know, we have some of our strategic partners that are actually actively engaged in litigation around a lot of these bills and children that have been vaccine injured. And it's not as straightforward as you would think. I mean, you know, w one of the attorneys that we're working with, she, she very kind of astutely pointed out, going the legal route is actually the last case scenario. And so, um, and it is a bit of a gamble because it really is about how that judge decides to interpret the law. And so, you know, we've seen in the last two and a half years, a lot of constitutional violations that continue to go unchecked from a judiciary or, you know, excuse me, a judiciary standpoint. And so, you know, I'll give you an example. How is it that in the state of California, thousands and thousands of religious belief exemptions continue to be denied. That seems to me that's a constitutional violation, but yet it continues to happen. Um, how is it that we have locked down the states and we've said, you're not allowed to go to church and you're not allowed to send your children to school, but if you'd like to, you know, you can go to the, the local Walmart or the local Target. Um, you know, so it just, it, it seems to me that um, a lot of the, the, the legal process for this, um, it, it's, it also seems to be being violated as well. So you, you mentioned your partners, you know, you've actually, a, you have a big group of partners right now. I mean, not, not just the legal ones, of course, but so this is, this is, has this been your work? This is, this is kind of a massive project, obviously. It's a, t it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do, we have some incredible strategic partners, partners that are incredibly well-versed. They have been in this fight for quite some time. Um, and really it's, it's exciting. I mean, we have uh, grassroots organizations from Shasta County all the way down to San Diego and California. We have strategic partners across the United States. We have a strategic partner in Canada, one in UK, one in Australia. Uh, but they're doing unbelievable work. I mean, we, we uh, uh, Facts, Truth, Law, Justice is one of our uh, strategic partners. Nicole Pearson is the attorney, and she is just representing some unbelievable uh, clients. I mean, clients that have had children that have gone to school and were vaccinated without the parent's knowledge or consent, and the child is now sadly vaccine injured. And she's got three clients like this. Uh, we've got PERC in uh, Los Angeles and Ventura County. We've got California Freedom Keepers. Um, and these are, again, these are just some of our organizations, but again, they've all been working in this fight. And it, what it does is it actually represents millions of Californians. So each one of those strategic partners has um, anywhere, you know, it could have thousands of, of parents and individuals that are all part of that group. So that really amounts to millions of, of people across the state of California that are concerned about what's happening. I've been very concerned mm -hmm. about the, the vaccine injury side of this. You know, we're getting, you know, increasing, I, I say, I guess, levels of evidence that this is becoming a very serious issue. So what what are what work is being done by the Unity Project or its partners around this? You, you suggested that there's legal cases around this happening right now. Uh, yeah, so uh, with regard to the legal cases, we've got some of our strategic partners that are doing that right now. In fact, I, I, I think I can share, I'm at liberty to share that uh, there are one case in particular in Pasadena, California, a 13-year-old child um, went to school, was offered pizza and, and a soda, and um, in exchange 
challenge for vaccine and was told not to tell his family, or excuse me, his, yeah, his parents. Uh, we have another case where a five-year-old child was uh, in, in Mammoth Lakes, California, was vaccinated, came home, told his, his mother that he felt like his heart was going to explode because children obviously have a hard time articulating their medical symptoms. Uh, that child was taken to a medical center and um, a police report was filed. The medical records, they will not release to the parents. And it's kind of uh, come to a screeching halt, but that's why uh, Nicole Pearson is working on that. Um, from a vaccine injury. What is the health status of that child? Uh, the child is vaccine injured. We, there's a cardiac um, implication. I, I, don't, I don't have the exact diagnosis, but I mean, one can, can probably logically conclude based on those that, you know, we know, we, we know that myocarditis and we know that pericarditis are known symptoms. And in particular, it seems to impact the pediatric population. So, uh, you know, based on what the feedback that we've gotten, and again, without looking at the medical uh, diagnosis, that's, I would assume that it's probably something, sadly, it's probably something like that. Okay. Um, we do work with um, React 19, which is Bree Dressen's organization. I believe you've probably met with her as well. Uh, and we work with the FLCCC. They're one of our strategic partners. And I know right now they have a full protocol that they're, that they're putting out um, in response to um, a lot of things, how to, how to treat someone that's vaccine injured, um, as well as, you know, long haul COVID and, uh, and others. Well, it sounds to me like you're doing some really important work. And would you say you think the odds are on your side or the odds are against? Yeah, I actually really appreciate that question. Um, I do. I think that the odds are on our side and I continue to feel inspired every day, which um, seems a little bit like an oxymoron considering, you know, what we just discussed, right? This feels very dystopian almost. Uh, but I do uh, feel inspired. And the reason I feel inspired is because every day I feel like we do move the needle forward. And I think, frankly, um, we're getting indications that are kind of telling signs that we are moving the, the needle forward. For example, the fact that they put SB 871 on hold and did not just immediately push it for a uh, floor vote is a good indicator that um, the, that the parents in California, and, and really, you don't even have to be a parent to be concerned about that bill, right? People are waking up, people are starting to recognize that this is happening. And so I, I am feeling inspired. I do think we are going to uh, move the needle forward on this. It's definitely an uphill battle and it's a lot of work, but it's necessary. We have no choice but to do this. Well, Laura Sextro, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you all for joining Laura Sextro and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders at Freedom Fest. I'm your host, Yanya Kellick. 